0: morning. If you see me doing like weird stretch things or I jerk my head all of a sudden, you ever sleep so hard that you sleep weird and you wake up sore? Those of you who are past 30 know what I'm talking about. That happened last night. And so I woke up this morning and go, oh my God, what happened? So anyway, if you see me doing weird things, we're going to blame it on that today. Is that fair? Awesome. Y'all are not awake yet today, are you? No. Alright, I'm going to let these kids get settled real quick, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Last week we looked at uh, the prophecy of Isaiah, particularly in reference to the coming of the Christ. We looked at King Ahaz and the things that were going on in his life, and we took some application from that about how is our life is, is kind of sometimes going crazy, and the things that are in front of us look overwhelming, that that God always knows what's going on. He's not surprised by those things, and he has a plan, but we looked at how Ahaz is is really stressed out because of these coming armies, and even though it looks like all was lost, it wasn't. In the middle of that chaos, God spoke to Ahaz, and He gave him the words that he needed to hear in order to to be faithful and to trust God to do what God had said He was done. We looked at how God revealed uh, His plan to Ahaz, but He does the same for us, and then it's up to us to choose to respond in obedience to God's call. That God's not going to make us do that, but that's ultimately what He wants for us, and that is we abide in Christ that's how he's revealed to the world around us we talk about that all the time that our abiding um, is how we are to be a light in the world and then we we talked we ended last week with Luke chapter 2 and I touched on a couple little things but I wanted us to go back today and reread that passage we're going to spend some time in it this morning because there's some things that even last week as I was preparing I read that passage that the Lord highlighted to me but we didn't have time last week to get into those things we're going to dig in today to Luke chapter 2 uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 20, and, and here's the goal, okay, that as we celebrate uh, Christmas, as we talk about what it means to be believers um, and, and us celebrating this together, we want to look at this event that took place in our past um, and how it continues to impact literally every human being, any, any person that's ever lived that he's currently living or ever will live, this story has implications for their life. And so we want to see ourselves, just like we did in the book of Exodus, we want to identify with this story and say this isn't a story about something that happened to people back in the day. That this is our story. Because it impacts us, because Jesus is alive, and the reason that he came, that makes a difference for us. And so it's not someone else's story that we are retelling, it's our story. And we find our identity in that story okay and so we see that in in Jesus's life that he humbles himself for your sake and for mine and we want to share that as we share the Christmas story that it's not just about um, baby Jesus but it's about a lot more than that so let's look at Luke chapter 2 we're going to read that and we're going to talk about a few things so starting in verse 1 it says in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered this was the first registration when Quinarius was governor of Syria And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And suddenly there was the, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So last week as I was reading this passage, and I'm looking at it, I'm looking at the characters that are involved here. I saw something really interesting, and that's what I want to talk about today. The first point I want to make today, we're only going to be two, okay? I'm going to spend a little time in this first one, and then, and then obviously in the second. But the first point I want to make today is that God uses those who the world forsakes. If you think about the characters of this story, we see Mary, we see Joseph, and we see shepherds. All of which were not in, in high standing as far as their social class. I had a thought this week. I think about how we often respond to God's direction for our lives with apprehension. We saw that in King Ahaz last week. God gives King Ahaz a word and he he operates out of fear instead of out of faith. And as I kind of internalized that, as I thought about why do I respond with apprehension a lot of times when God speaks into my life, I, I realized that there are several reasons there. But one of the ones that I think stands out to me the most, and I think that you can identify with this, is that it often has to do with my own perception of my value and abilities. Think about that. When God calls you to do something, where does your, where does your mind re- respond? How does it respond? And I know it may seem silly to think of responding God about thinking about yourself, but if we take a minute we consider our own lives and the things that God has asked you to do over the course of your life, you'll probably find it true that when God has given you a word to step out in faith, the first response is, God, I can't do that. We know as we studied Exodus that when God called Moses, Moses said, but, but God, my, I don't speak well. That's our typical response. How often do you think God is telling you to do something that's outside, excuse me, how often do you think God is telling you to do something that's outside of your comfort zone? How often do you think that's a mistake? And Kyle shared a couple of weeks ago, that when God told him to to begin teaching in the youth his response was not me I'm not ready for that and I know in my life as God has called me into different areas of ministry that my typical response is but God I'm not ready for that when God called me to pastor I was like but I hadn't been to seminary right that was my first thought I thought I'm not qualified God does those things on purpose and I think he does it for a couple of reasons several reasons First, I think he wants us to learn to lean on him and not on ourselves. That when he's calling us to do something, he's not saying, lean on your past experiences and your own knowledge. Lean on me. Secondly, he wants us to grow in our understanding of him as we are pushed beyond what is easy. We don't grow when things are easy. We grow when they're hard. And then thirdly, he wants us to see ourselves as he sees us. And I think that's the most important We limit ourselves based on what we think and what others say about us, right? When you think about yourself, you think about the things that you've eternalized and you say, well, I think I'm good at this and I'm not good at this. And we think about when people have complimented us on things that we have done well or when people critique us when we have not done well. And we let that be our value. But here's the thing is, God sees our full potential, okay? And I want you to think about this for a minute. When God sees us, he doesn't see what we see. He knows what we were created to do and to be. We are aware that we're created in His image and for His purposes. And His intent is to work through us, not to send us out by ourselves. And so if we are image bearers of God, who is limitless, when God looks at you and He calls you to a task and you go, God, I'm not ready. He said, I'm not asking you to be ready. I'm asking you to be mine. I created you in my image. I am limitless. Therefore, you are limitless. In our story, this is what we see God doing in the lives of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. God sees them as image bearers. And as such, they have unlimited potential. God can use them in any way he sees fit. He used those, think about this, he used those that most of society gave little to no thought about. Right? Mary and Joseph, poor people, even though they're in in the line of, Joseph's in the line of David, he was not a well known guy, he was a carpenter. The shepherds, we've talked about before, their status in society, not real high up on the totem pole. If you take time to think about it, God does this throughout human history. You look at the biblical narrative, and we see over and over and over that God uses nobody's to complete his work. We're going to switch gears for a minute. I want you to think about something. We're going to move off the Christmas store. We're going to look at some other scripture. We're coming back, but I want to pursue this idea a little bit further. God's got a word for us this morning. We've been talking about for a year what it means to join God to set people free. And I know because I've heard comments and I've talked with some of you, and you think, I'm not ready. Well, welcome to the party. None of us are, okay? God's got some stuff for us to do. But in order for us to do that, we have to learn to see ourselves as God sees us, okay? When Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, just before his death, he said some things to them that were both familiar and foreign at the same time. Have you ever heard something where you're like, man, I think I heard that somewhere one time, but I'm not, I can't place it. Jesus does this with the disciples. Okay, they knew that Jesus was different from all the other rabbis, and he routinely put himself and need, the needs of others before his own. Okay, they understood that by experience. They had walked with him. Look at me with, with me at John 13. We're going to read verses 3 through 17. Again, this is a story that for, we're familiar with, but hang in there with me. I want to point out a couple of things says this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured into a basin, water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what I am doing you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. I'm going to pause right there for just a second. We'll go on. But I want you to just hear that. What I am doing now, you do not understand. But afterward, you will understand. That is a roadmap for learning. When God is calling us to something new, we don't understand. And that's exactly where we're supposed to be. But we will. And Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to them, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he's completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. You see, Jesus sees Peter for who Peter is. Peter's self-evaluation is, I obviously am not clean, I need Jesus to wash all of me. But Jesus is like, no, bro, you're good. Not everybody in this room is, but you're good. He goes on to say, for he knew, he being Jesus, who was about to betray him. That's why he said, Not all of you are clean. But listen to this. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus is saying, look, I know you first of all. I know you. And second of all, I'm calling you to be like me, to serve one another. That Jesus is pointing out to the disciples that their whole world was based on social status. Where you sat at the table, when you entered the room, all of those things were determined by who you were as a person. And Jesus is saying, I know you. I know everything about you. And you are good. But you also are to be the servant. This is a call for you, and it's a call for me. And this is not the first time that the disciples had heard this. That's why it sounded familiar. Look with me at Mark chapter ten, verses seventeen through thirty-one. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" And Jesus said to him, "Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments: do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal." Do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these I have kept for my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. I've got to make a note right here. Jesus looked at him. He knew him. But disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of an eel than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And they said to him, Then who can be saved? and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. You see, Jesus is flipping what we understand about our society on its head. You know, in our minds, even in our culture today, those who have money, who have the right last name, who have prestige, those people are lifted up and said, "These be like this person. And Jesus saying, no. Those people are going to be very last. And those that are last now will be very first. Even in his last moments, Jesus is trying to bring home a lesson that he had been trying to teach his followers as he walked with him. It was common in their world, it's common in our world, for those that are somebody's, quote-unquote, to, to be important. To be put first. And even though that was their culture and it's certainly ours today, Jesus wants us to understand that God does not work that way. That is not how his economy operates. In our passage from Luke today, a passage that, from Luke chapter 2, that most of us have heard more than any other passage of Scripture. Because we've heard it every Christmas since we've been born, most of us. We see God working in a way that Jesus was trying to help his disciples to see as he walked with them. God uses Mary and Joseph, a couple of nobodies, to bring the Messiah into the world. Not only did God choose to humble himself to be born as a helpless baby, but he also chooses two teenagers to take care of him. Think about that. We talked last year at Extent about the culture about, uh, that was going on around Jesus at the time of his birth, that King Herod, I'm doing air quotes again because he wasn't really a king, that was the title that the Romans gave him to kind of help him control the Jews but all around them for 400 years had been nothing but war and tyranny. It was a terrible place. People feared for their lives constantly. And for generations, God's people had been victims of displacement and, and just living in fear. The climate was not great, right? And in the middle of that, God chooses two teenagers to bring Jesus into the world. They did not have the means, the resources... They had nothing. Not to mention that as soon as Jesus arrives and the wise men tell King Herod that he's here, King Herod decides he's going to try to kill him. I want you to put yourself back in your teenage days. Think about when you were in high school because that's about how old Mary and Joseph were. Were you ready to not only have a child but to protect him from a king that wanted to kill him? No, you were not. I'm not ready for that right now. But that's who God chose. He didn't choose Mary and Joseph because they were qualified. He didn't choose them because they have the right resources or the right social connections. He chose them because they were willing to follow. I thought about this this week. If God's all-knowing, and He is, He knew the climate that Jesus was being born into. And He knew the response that Herod was going to have. But yet, He sends them He sends Mary and Joseph to have his son. God purposely chose these two, knowing full well that they didn't have what it took. But he saw them for who they were. He saw them as a young man and a young woman who were willing to obey God no matter what the cost. He does the same with you and I. When God calls you to something, when God gives you a word about a ministry that he wants you to step out into... He doesn't see you as you see yourself. He sees you like he sees Mary and Joseph. He looks at you and goes, unlimited potential. Everything I need for them to be successful in this call, I'm going to provide. We also see that God chooses in this passage to make the birth announcement to the shepherds. God could have sent those angels anywhere. Have you ever thought about this? God could have sent those angels anywhere. Could have sent them to King Herod in his court made the announcement there. He could have sent them to the temple where all the rabbis were and made his, his, his proclamation there. He could have sent them to Rome in front of Julius Caesar and made the proclamation there, but he didn't. He chose the shepherds. And shepherds didn't have Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, right? They couldn't just click a couple of buttons and boom, the whole world knows. They had to go physically tell people. But God chose them. It says in Luke 2, verse 16, that the shepherds went with haste and found Mary and Joseph. And as far as we know from the Christmas story from the scripture that we have, they were the very first visitors. Now the Messiah that had been prophesied for thousands of years arrives and the very first people that God sends to him were the shepherds. Were the lowliest of low. And that's who God chose. We have to allow The Holy Spirit to redefine for us what it means to be God's people, because we look at ourselves, we look at the people in our church, we look at the people in our culture, and we view them as the world views them. And God's going, that's not how I operate. You think you're the lowest of the low in this room? You're the most useful to God. God chooses for the for the shepherds to be the first. If you hadn't picked up on what I'm laying down here, I like that thing. Here's, here's what I want you to hear. The most significant people in this story were the least significant in their society. The most important, the most significant people in this narrative were the least significant in their society. God's trying to show us something. We cannot and should not view ourselves as the world does. We can all agree that we're a bunch of nobodies, Right? That there's nothing special about us. But the fact that there's nothing special about us is exactly why God wants to use us. It's because we have, we have seen ourselves as God sees us. Our call to join God in the work that he's doing isn't dependent upon our skill sets or our talents. God purposefully asked those who don't have any of those things to do his bidding so that when the world sees something happen, it's obvious that it's not us doing it. It's obvious that it's God doing it. Literally all we bring to the table is a willingness to follow where he leads. Not just one time half-hearted agreement, but a devotion to obey no matter what the cost is. So point number two I want to make today is devotion to God's plan brings joy back to the world. Listen, God calls us not because we're ready or able or equipped. God calls us because he is ready, he is able, and he is the equipper. I thought about it like this. Joe Burrow does not score the touchdowns. If you don't know who Joe Burrow is, you must live under a rock, okay? He's the quarterback for LSU. Okay, if you're not a football person, just know that, okay? He's a big deal. Won the Heisman last night. It's a big deal. Go, Joe. All right? Joe Burrow doesn't score all the touchdowns. He calls out for the play. He calls the play to the team. They huddle up. He says, this is what we're about to do, guys. Everybody lines up. They hike the ball. So Joe initiates the execution of the plan, and then he sends his people out, right? The wide receivers, the tight ends, they take off running. They know where they're supposed to go, but you cannot score a touchdown unless you were holding the football. They don't leave with the football. They run the play, right? And at the right moment, Joe throws the football, and they catch it. This is a great analogy for us in the church. It's often that God calls us to do something that we are not equipped to do. We're not holding the football, But we're still supposed to go. We're still supposed to do the things that God calls us to do. And when it's time, when we need what we need, God delivers it just like Joe. There you go, Kyle. That was just for you. They only score a goal when everybody follows the plan, right? God's going to give us the play. Sometimes we're going to have the tools and the resources that we need to accomplish the work right then. But sometimes we're going to have to wait for those things to come in time as God leads. We have to step out in in faith and obedience and wait for God to do what only He can do. We start running towards the end zone. We don't have the football yet, but we know it's coming because God said it's coming. And we keep running until He throws it. I was thinking about this yesterday, and and some of you guys have heard us talk about a community garden here. And I've shared a little bit of that story, but I want to share it today in context of what we're talking about. Okay? Okay? When we purchased this property, um, we walked out here and Glenn was like, Yeah, we own all of this. I was like, How far do we own? He's like, From the end of the parking lot to that house way back there. So if you didn't know that, that whole field behind us is ours. And immediately the farmer and me saw that, and I really felt like this was from the Lord. He says, Y'all are going to put a garden here one day. I thought, Wow, that's going to be awesome. And at that point in our life, Bethany and I were huge into gardening. We had a huge garden in our yard. We had all the tools, the resources, she had the knowledge. We could make this happen, right? But as we prayed about that, God didn't tell us to go. He just said, this is going to happen one day. Had I stepped out and just done something, it would have been about me, right? It would have been me taking my knowledge, my resources, and trying to do something good for God. But it wouldn't have been what God wanted because He didn't tell me to do that. Now, fast forward a couple of years... The Upshaws joined the church, and through the process of having conversations, I discovered that Debbie Upshaw is a certified master gardener, okay? That is some qualifications I do not hold, right? Not only that, but she has experience in community gardening. Again, something I do not have experience with. I thought, okay, God, all right, see what you're doing here, but I'm going to wait, I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to push Debbie because that's not how we roll, right? We don't push people to doing things. So we just, I prayed, began to seek the Lord. She's doing the same thing. We didn't get in a hurry. We wanted to give God God time to show us what he was going to do, how he wanted us to participate in that. Okay, Instead of us just gathering our resources and knowledge and trying to make something happen. Fast forward a little further. We're having a staff meeting. And Brittany just all of a sudden just gets super excited. I shared this story the other day, and she is just, I don't know if you know Brittany or not, but when she gets excited, that mouth, whoo, 900 miles an hour, okay? And Bethany and Anna and I all know that this is coming already, and we're waiting for Brittany to take a breath, and she didn't. And so Anna just cut her off and's like, it's already happening. God's been speaking to Miss Debbie. And she's like, oh my gosh. And so they got together that week and had a meeting, and here's what's really cool. It's God had been speaking the same thing to Brittany that he was speaking to Miss Debbie, and so now we have, years ago, God gave a vision. I had the resources and talent, but not the call. But God was waiting for the people here who had the call, who had the things he needed, when he needed them to make that happen. We're going to have an announcement at the end of this that this thing is happening. But not because Will wanted to do a good thing, pull myself up on my bootstraps and get it done, but because we've been waiting for God to speak about how it was to happen. And, and here's, I'll just tell you, like, My thought when I first thought of a garden was we're going to be able to feed this community out of all this land. That's not what God's intent is. God can provide food for them. His intent is for us to build relationships with the people. But I didn't have the the sweat equity in this community yet to even know that that was going to be a possibility. But because we've been here for five years, we know these people, we know this community. And now is the time to begin that work. Do you see what God's doing? He does this in your life and he does this in my life. God is using all of this, all of these people to lay out the framework for something that's bigger than all of us. This garden will be bigger than me and bigger than Debbie and bigger than Brittany. It's going to be a God-sized project that has the unlimited potential to show the people of this community the truth about who God is by digging in the dirt. And that's pretty awesome. Let's look at the response of, of the other major players in our text. Okay, we want to look at Mary and Joseph real quick. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. This is Joseph's story. It says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. When Joseph gets the news, presumably from Mary at first, about what's going on, he has a typical guy response. Nope, not me. I'm out. Not my problem. Right? And as he's thinking about those things, The Lord shows up and says, whoa, hold on, Joseph. I'm doing something here. Let me explain what's going on. And as God is telling them, telling him all those things, Joseph has a decision to make. And he chooses to obey. Okay, and look, Joseph, the reason that he's wanting to back out of this thing is because he knows the ramifications socially that it's going to have for he and Mary. And so he's trying to be a nice guy, do this quietly, kind of step back and let her go about her way. But God says, no, no, no. That's not my intent. Let me tell you what I'm doing. And so Joseph chooses to obey. Mary's response was a bit more graceful, right? The angel just told her what was up. And let's look at her response. This is in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Again, Mary could have responded differently. She could have been really upset about the fact that she's now a pregnant teenage mom, right? She could have been that way. But she didn't. She responds with not only obedience, but joy-filled obedience. Because she knows God. She's walked with him. She has experience. She understands because the angels showed up and said, this is what's going on, okay? The other players in our story here are the shepherds, okay? We've already read the the story of them. We're not going to read it again, but as a reminder, they respond to the angels by going to find Jesus. Scripture says they went with haste. They went right then as they were called. They run and find Jesus, and when they find him, they're so excited that they tell everyone they can find. Let me tell you what God has done. Listen, we know of our Savior because Mary and Joseph and the shepherds obeyed the call of God. They were devoted to Him and as He set a task that would not be easy before them, they accepted. Their devotion to God and the role He called them to is why we celebrate the birth of Christ. That's why we do it. I think it's obvious that God asked things of these people that he knew that they couldn't accomplish on their own, but he also knew that they would be faithful enough to persist and be obedient to him. So the question for me, the question for you is, when God calls, how do you respond? Are you allowing God the freedom in your life to ask you to do really hard things for the sake of the gospel? Every person in this room, at some point, either has been asked or will be asked to serve God in a capacity in which they do not feel qualified to fulfill. It's coming if it hasn't already. And how we respond is important. For us and for those around us and for the sake of the kingdom. As we've said so many times over and over and over again, you guys are probably sick of hearing this, but it's up to the Holy Spirit to do the work in us. He calls us and He wills us to do the work. He creates the desire in us but He wants us to be His people. We are the image bearers of God that were created to be in relationship with Him. He's choosing to do this because this was always His plan. As we walk with Him through life, we're called to be like Him, to love and to serve and to give as He gives. We're not chosen because we're ready. Right? We're chosen because we're image bearers of God. And how we respond matters. As we go through the rest of Christmas, we've got a couple of weeks left, right? I don't know about you, but I've already had opportunities to talk with many different people about what Christmas is really about. And that it's not about just the presents and the gifts and celebrating the birth of Christ. We do those things. But it's bigger than that. Christ had to be born so that He could die. There's a whole story that's encompassed in the Christmas story. And God wants to give you an opportunity to share that with the people in your lives around you, but you've got to be willing to speak up when it's time. Right? And He'll give you the words. Let's pray together. God, I thank You for um, for choosing us. God, I thank You that, that it's not about us to be good people or to have a certain skill set in order to be used by You. God, that you purposely choose those who are not ready, who are not equipped, who are not able. God, you give us an honor that we can receive nowhere else. And Father, it is our desire to know you and to be devoted to you. So God, I ask that as we continue to celebrate Christmas, that you would give us opportunities to share the truth about who you are with the people around us. That as we are walking in hard situations that you would give us the faith to just continue to trust you that you know what you're doing and that you have a plan in place god we love you and we thank you that we get to walk through this together that we're not alone That you've created a community around us that can help uphold us as we walk through hard times god help us to experience the joy of the birth of our Savior.